This, 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 Welcome to podcast episode number 822, where the Fight Disciples, this is your MMA review for the weekend just gone. We'll have a little bit of a look ahead to the weekend coming up as well, but it's mainly about what happened in Las Vegas, UFC 296. Before we get stuck into it, uh, please subscribe to so you can do it via our website, fightdisciples.com. Everything's there. Spotify galore. Go and get stuck in if you just want an audio feed. If you want to watch us, you're more than welcome to do so via our YouTube channel, Fight Disciples is where you can check us out. Thank you so much. If you've become a subscriber to our YouTube channel, lots of videos uh, going up recently, including our daily diaries from New York, of which I believe people have been enjoying. Um, so thank you very much for the nice words uh, uh, whilst we've been out and about on our travels. Yes, Vegas stole my soul. That's why the uh, that's why the voice is not working today. That's why the head's all over the place. And I'm probably going to say shit that I, I, I won't remember in, in, in a day or two's time. Right. Oh, my days. What have you got? What are you pulling out the bag here? Please oh, tell me you've not brought some substance back. No, no. Just some lip balm because <laughs> my fucking lips are killing me still. Text it, doesn't it? One yeah, thing I've, I've learned about Vegas texts uh, all the moisture out of you. It's a desert, and- man. And it's also incredibly highly charged electrically. So every time you touch a fucking door, mm-hmm. it gives you a little electric you shock as, you, as, you, as you're flying through, yeah. Oh, yesterday's journey home was arduous, man. Hard. I, th- I think what added to it was the fact that we, we usually we usually try and get a flight out of there. As soon as we're done on the Sunday, Like I like to just be getting myself home then. But yesterday, because of the flight times and because there's no flight via, via Manchester at the moment, no direct flight. We had to go back through Heathrow, which meant hanging around in Las Vegas till like 6, 7 p.m. on the strip, which was sound because we sat in a wicked bar and we had a few beers. We watched your Buffalo Bills. We watched my 49ers. The dream is still on of a Super Bowl versus yeah. 49ers versus Bills. So we were kind of into that. We had a good chat with the team. We headed up to the airport. We had a few more beers there. Everything was great, man. We got ourselves a, a sleep water. We got on the plane. Bump down goes the old melatonin. And we, you know, we pretty much got 10 hours in the bank coming back. Then when we got to Heathrow, we had a two-hour wait to a fl- just for the 30-minute flight to Manchester. That got delayed half an hour. We finally got on the plane. Taxis to the runway. Someone on the plane Get has a bit of a bad it. turn. Yeah. So they basically do a U-turn at the runway, go back to the gate. Bear in mind, this took... About 40 minutes. The flight was only 30 minutes. It would have mm. been quicker to fly to Manchester and get the person locked after there. But anyway, listen, the person walked off the plane. Health is the most important thing, especially this week, Jesus. That person got off the plane. They finally shut the doors. Thankfully, they didn't take everybody off. We reversed back out. So we had about a two and a half hour, three hour delay leaving uh, Heathrow. We finally got back to Manchester. We finally all got home. But it was a good... 20 almost a 24 hour journey to get from the hotel. Uh, check yeah. well, it was over 24 out, hours yeah. from checking out to front door, was over 24 hours. So, it was a bit of a slog getting home, which was the last thing in mate, the after mate, the week we've had, but mate. still, I ain't complaining. There's not, the yeah, you are, yeah, you are. There's not one person listening to this going, Shut that, all of them are going, <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Pete. <laughs> hey, come on, man, you've been tossing <laughs> it off in Vegas for a week, yeah, man. And what a, what a night of fights as well. I think we peaked too soon. I think towards the end, it got very technical. Mm. Um, and it was about levels. But when you look at 296 as a card, 
yeah. and some of the big moments on there and the amount of finishes on there. Mate, I thought it was I thought it was great. First five fights, all knockouts. Nothing getting out of the second. We have first oh, round. Two submissions. You know, four fin- oh, five sorry, finishes. Oh, finishes, sorry. Five finishes, finishes, yeah. yeah. Five yeah. finishes in the first five fights. Then you had two uh, fight of the year contenders. One yeah. of which I think will be the fight of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight between Aldana and Russell was just, oh my God, what am I watching? This is just yeah. outstanding. Insane. Yeah. Heart and determination for both of those girls with high level technicalities too. It was tremendous. And then you get onto the main card and you see one of the most chilling knockouts that you've ever seen in your entire life. Get onto that in a minute. Um, And then you have um, two really good performances. Listen, you knew one of them was going to probably come that way, but the other one, I think, might even be my favourite performance of the whole trip because I didn't Mm -hmm. expect it to maybe play the way that it played. And then then you have um, two two really good title fights. And when I say really good title fights, yes, okay, you didn't get Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you didn't get your knockout in your main event, which people go, ah, it's one of the worst title fights I've ever seen in my life. No, hang on a minute, it takes two to tango. One dude was on. Mm -hmm. The other dude got nowhere near it. All bark, no bite. Ooh, might have that as the title for today's show. All bark, no bite. That's, That's what nice. Colby Coffington was in that main event. Just looking back and and, and reflecting on it now, uh, 48 hours or so removed from it. I just think if you're going to talk the talk in the manner in which he did and not walk the walk, you know, that's pretty damning on where Colby Covington is right now. On reflection, you know, it was it was all a sign of weakness. All the noise, all the dressed up as George Washington, all the you know the, the the incredibly low blow about Leon's dad and all that stuff. All that was window dressing from a man that knew he shouldn't have been in the main event. That knew he talked himself into a fight that he wasn't ready for and a level of opponents that he wasn't ready for. And when he got inside that octagon, Colby Covington did absolutely nothing. He did nothing to try and take that belt away from Leon Edwards. He didn't take any risks. He didn't put himself in the threat of danger. He just stayed on the back foot, and it ultimately was. It felt like he went for a payday. And even in the fifth round, when Leon went, "Come on, then, come on, then," I've, 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 I've kept you on the back foot. You've been terrified to strike with me. Terrified. You just let, you just standing there at range. Let me pick you off. So come on, then. Let's wrestle. Let's wrestle, Mister All American. Let's give you what you would have dreamt of type of fight. Let's wrestle. And Leon live with him in the wrestling department as well. I'm afraid to say, as as entertaining as Colby was, and again, I want to put that incident. I ain't talking about that one incident. You know, people are getting getting mixed up because there's a clip of me on TNT, what looks like I'm defending him. I ain't defending Colby for what he said about Leon's dad for a split second. But what I will say is that moment, put that and the shit he said about Stephen Thompson and some of us, the other stuff, when we sat down with Colby, the the, the dressed up with George Washington, all that's entertainment, man. I get it. All that drives people people viewpoints. From that regard, I ain't got a problem with that. But if you're gonna do that, and especially when you want to talk shit and then get in the octagon and do absolutely nothing, for me it felt like career suicide and it felt like the end of Colby Covington. It's just not good enough. Let's be honest, he's just not good enough at that level. The The game has moved. He's been out of the octagon for two years, or the best part of two years, hasn't he's had one it? fight or one fight in two years, yeah. Um, and okay, his most famous moments in a UFC octagon is, is losing twice to Kamara Usman. 
And they were great fights. The first one, I was lucky enough to... In fact, I was at both of them. But the first one in particular, Las Vegas, and they knocked seven bells out of each other. And I genuinely thought that there was a point in that fight that he might be able to take the crown. But Kamara Usman, show what Kamara Usman is all about. He came through and he got the job done. Blaming the referee all you want. At the end of the day, he was about to take your head off. So it's a win for Kamara Usman. Second fight, again, Kamara Usman, I thought, was even better in the second fight. Again, a close one. But he's defined in the UFC, with all due respect to him, as, from an athletic point of view, as being a person that falls short at the very top level. Yeah. Listen, there's no shame in that at all. Absolutely. There's no shame in that. But if, as you've just rightfully said, if you are going to talk the game that you talk, then at least go out wondering. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, 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 and, and, and sadly, at the weekend for me, as I'm talking about Colby Covington first rather than Leon Edwards, he fought like a man that was absolutely scared stiff of becoming a meme. That's exactly what he did. He didn't roll the dice. He didn't want to have a go because he knew what was what. Leon Edwards was too fast, too sharp, too smart, too strong, too good in every single department of that fight. And within a matter of minutes, Colby Covington realized what he got himself into. And he did not want to give Leon Edwards the satisfaction of him getting absolutely bingoed in that octagon. That's why he fought the way that he fought. And he wasted, completely wasted his opportunity. I'm not saying it would have gone any different for him. I think the majority of us would have said, well, if you do roll the dice, you are going to get knocked out. That's probably what would have happened. But mm-hmm. for him to have talked the way that he talks consistently over a period of time, he talked himself well out of his depth. And we saw that at the weekend. Yeah. For four rounds, he just circled around the outside of Leon and didn't engage. And Leon just picked him off. He picked away at that leg kick. Every now and again, he would let a one-two go, which would land pretty clean. And Corbinson would just run away on the back foot and not want to engage. It was a complete and utter survival show for 20 minutes. And then even when in the in the fourth round, when uh, when he managed to get a takedown or so, Leon, t- Leon bounced straight back to his foot, double-legged Colby and took Colby down just to prove to the world, listen, I can, you take me down, I'll take you down. I, and I could have done this in the first round as well if he'd had the balls to try and cl- close the distance. And then in the fifth round, Leon goes, come on then, Mr. All-State All, All American, let's wrestle. And he wrestled, and I think that was the only the only round that the judges gave to Colby. But it was purely because Leon went, even if the fight was this, you wouldn't have beaten me. And, and for me, that was the best thing about it. From a Leon Edwards point of view, from the week that Leon had, and you were right to call that on the TNT show, Leon was class personified. Leon rose above the situation, dealt with it, proved to the world what a true champion does, proved to the world what a true role model does. Doesn't let trash talk, low-hanging fruit, utter nonsense like that impact his output, impact who he is as as a champion. Now, man, he rose above it completely. And when the fight started, had he knocked Colby out in the first round, had Colby ran in and walked onto a flying knee or whatever it may be, I don't think Leon gets the props he deserves because Colby then goes away going, ah, man, lucky shot. And people go, oh, yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah, you've been out for two years. You ran in, you missed time there. All right, let's see. You know, let's rebuild them with with this fight, and let's. You know, you're still a you're still a top contender, Colby. Yeah, yeah. Anyone could get caught like that by doing what Leon what Leon did. Made them stand there and run away for four rounds like a, like a, like a, like a chicken. It wasn't a fighting man. That was a guy in there surviving. 
Job number one, Colby Covington, survive. That's not how you become a champion, and that's not what people want to see. You had 20,000 people all bought in on the MAGA, all bought in on Trump being ringside. Trump's going to put the belt on me and all this. Yeah, yeah, everyone's great. George Washington, wear the blue jackets, all this stuff. The whole arena's all in. Everyone cheers into the ring. Leon gets a few boos, everything else. Over the course of 25 minutes, that crowd 100% is a 180. You don't represent me. You're not making me a proud American. You're not making America great again. You're not, you're not doing the things you said you're going to do. You're not making Trump proud. You're not doing anything. You're not even trying to win, mate. So you're embarrassing yourself. And I thought that was even better, even sweeter for Leon Edwards. That was an even sweeter revenge to, over the course of a fight, expose a man enough to go, you've got no right to be in the top level of this sport. And the champion has exposed you for what you are. You're all bark. You had no bite. And by the end of it, when he got on the microphone and he said, I thought I won the fight, easiest fight to my career, look, not a mark on me. The boos were everywhere because everyone can see. The reason it was a, the reason you can even say it was an easy fight, there's not a mark on me, is because you ran. You didn't even try and win. So I, I think that was even sweeter from Leon's perspective that he ended the Colby shtick. He got the entire crowd to turn on Colby. And he basically said to the UFC, see this guy? He will never be in a championship fight again. That's what Leon did to him in 25 minutes. Or you could argue Colby did to himself. I think Leon did it to him, mate. I think Leon Colby... I think... Uh, I think there was a realisation. You can, you can see it. There's a realisation. I said to you, didn't I, first round? We'll know in the first round. We'll yeah. know. And Colby knew. By midway through the first round, he thought, this guy's too slick for me. It's too sharp. It's yeah. too he's too he's too accurate. Yeah. This is it's all good and well having a kick, a couple of kickboxing fights with Kamara Wasman, two career wrestlers yeah. who have added striking later on. It's yeah. different when a wrestler goes in against a world class tie boxer kickboxer like Leon Edwards, because he couldn't get near him. Couldn't get near him. And then as you say, you go you go into your shell then because you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. The uh so we knew from a technical point of view, the only concerns that I had, and listen, I shouldn't have had any doubts about the way that he was going to deal with the vile comment that came back his way. We saw how emotionally charged he was when it happened. And it is testament to him and his upbringing as to how he managed to get those emotions in control to be as cold as he was when it came to Saturday night. He said that he was full of rage, but speaking to his mum, speaking to Fabian, who was back home, getting yeah. his mind right back in the game. And obviously, Coach uh, Coach Dave is a real big influence on him as well. He will have had a couple of chats in his ear. And just him as a guy to have managed to cool those jets, get himself back in the fridge and put that performance on when the guy that you want to take, whose head you want to take, is stood right in front of you, to not fight an emotion, just goes to prove how good this kid is. He is so underestimated as an elite level mixed martial artist. It's going to take something very, very special to come and beat him in this division because he is top, top class. And as I said to him on the TV, and I've said to you, and you've said to him as well, when we've had private conversations with him over the last couple of days, he is someone to be proud of. Yep. All of us, as and I'm not talking about just Brits or Jamaicans. I'm talking about the MMA community, people who follow this sport. What do you want out of this sport? Yeah, you want a little bit of entertainment. Nothing wrong with a bit of trash talk. There's nothing wrong with selling a fight and all that. 
But when it comes down to it, how do you operate? How do you operate as a mixed martial artist? How do you operate as a guy? Leon Edwards is a classy fighter. He's an even classier bloke. And every single one of us should be on the Leon Edwards train and want nothing but success for him. Because look at all the things that he's had to deal with over the last two to three years, both professionally and personally. Never once has he let his emotions get out of check. And he goes and delivers time and time and time again. Bring that man back to the UK and let him have another moment in front of these fans because the roof will come off the next time he is in front of British fans, I guarantee it. And what's that now? 12 wins equaling George St. Pierre's welterweight run? You know, bring, right him on, you... bring him on for 13, man. Bring him on for number 13. Well, I think I think right now in terms of options, you know, I, I'd be very surprised. I haven't, I haven't looked at the, the rankings or whatever, but I'd be very surprised if he's not top three or four pound for pound in the world because that's what he would deserve, you know. And again, we, we've highlighted the fact that Colby Covington suddenly got incredibly gun shy when the, when the bell went, but that was all based on the fact that Leon was picking him off at will and he couldn't get anywhere near Leon. And then he went into his shell because he was terrified. Um, but I think Leon's absolutely got to be in the top four to five pound for pound. The only people above him, probably because of historic, historical reasons, even though what have you done for me lately? Historically, people get the goat and the pound for pound list mixed up. John Jones will probably still be ranked up there somewhere. On merit, I believe Islam Makachev is yep. the number one pound for pound fighter on the planet. And you've probably still got uh, Volk uh, knocking in around that, yep. that, that, that conversation as well for, for good reasons. So, but Leon's absolutely right up there. And that brings me to the next step. And what, what do you do next with Leon? <laughs> Obviously, Bilal Mohamed is front of the queue in terms of the welterweight division and where that's going. Am I super excited for that fight? No, but I do defend the fact that UFC are good at following their ranking system and guys who step aside and wait and whatever else do get rewarded. He weighed in. When the time is right and he weighed in and everything else. So that would suggest that Bilal is the guy that should be next. However. When you've got an opportunity to do pound for pound versus pound for pound, we've seen it with Vulcan Islam. I think there's a real opportunity here at UFC 300 to do Islam. Bring Islam up to welterweight and let Islam do, you know, Volkanovski was afforded two opportunities of two-weight greatness. And I think Islam versus Leon not only throws up the pound for pound debate and the, the, mm. Leon's opportunity to take the scalp of the pound for pound guy, but I think in t- when you look at the UFC, I think Islam's run of wins is comparable to Leon's runner wins as well. So there's a lot at stake in that fight. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the way the UFC went with Leon's next opponent. And you know what? The way Leon Edwards looks right now, I ain't scared of that fight. I ain't even scared of the Shavkar fight. I think Leon right now is at the peak of his powers and could well be the best fighter on the planet. So I've got no issue about us finding out. I think they're gonna I think that fight that you just mentioned there will happen, but I think it's gonna be the one after. So what I think will happen will be Leon Bilal. And I think they'll do that in the UK, uh, in Manchester. Um, I think Islam Makhachev will fight Justin Gaethje. And then I think they will allow Islam Makhachev to have an opportunity at becoming a two-weight world champion and take on uh, Leon. And they'll they'll look to do that in Abu Dhabi. That would be my guess. But you know what? If I'm Leon, I ain't against it, Adam. No, not at all. I ain't against it. Think of the door. Think because of the door, man. It's massive. Financially, it's huge. But also, I fancy Leon in that fight. I Absolutely. Really He's technically good enough to deal with it. Absolutely, he is. And they're going to say, right, okay, we're going to give the guy from the weight division blow the opportunity against you. Okay, sound. That allows me to, one, have a good conversation financially about recompense, but also a conversation to go, okay, well, when I do that guy, 
and I've just done your number one contender in Palal Muhammad. I'm going up. Now I'm going to beat that guy. I want an opportunity from you, just like I'm sure Islam negotiated, to have a look at 185 when it comes to 185. So it puts Leon in a real, Leon in a real powerful position. But again, just the way, just being around Leon right now, just seeing how how dialed in he is, how his body looks, how his, how he controls himself in, inside and outside the octagon, everything yeah. else. I'd argue now there's not a better, more composed, more technical fighter on the planet than Leon Edwards. There might be someone shoulder to shoulder, but no one is streets ahead of Leon Edwards. And the fact that Islam is in and around, is from the division below, bring that the fuck on. Bring on the opportunity for Leon to go, you know what? Pound for pound, legit. Never mind pound for pound, headshot dead. Pound for pound, I'm the fucking guy. Yeah. And Islam's that fight. Islam Leon is an unbelievable fight. They're both very similar. Characters, human, everything about them, they're both very similar, aren't they? Very yeah. cold when they when the door shuts. It's just gonna yeah. be oh mate. What a fight. Oh. What a fight that would be. Uh do you want um Shavkat Colby? I do. You know, I mentioned that in the immediate aftermath. I'm like, yeah, man. Feed Colby Big Mouth Covington to Shavkat. Because after a performance like that. I believe Colby deserves to be fed to a lion now. Not not that Leon wasn't a lion. Leon absolutely was the lion. Colby ran away. Colby tries to run away from Shavkat. It's the end of Colby Covington, and that's official at that point. But at, at this point in time, Colby's just benefited from a little bit of Dana White privilege there. He was given an opportunity that maybe others deserved. He was let, allowed to sit on the bench and wait it out to get a world title fight. It blew up in Dana's face because Colby let him down. He let everybody down if you're a Colby Covington fan because he didn't even try. So privilege removed. You're now a stepping stone for the next guy. And absolutely the next guy is Shavkat. Absolutely the next guy is Shavkat. Before we, uh, before I let him just go wild on Shavkat, because you know he's going to go wild on Shavkat. Uh, Pantoja and Roy Val. Um, what a fight. Brilliant. Uh, heart, guts, determination from both of these guys, the skill level from uh, from both fellas right up there. Pantoja just proved just how good he is because Roy Val, in total contrast, as Nick said on the TNT show, in total contrast to Colby Covington, Roy Val had a go and he was, and he was in the fight consistently for 25 minutes. It was just that Pantoja was a little bit too clever at certain points in order to get himself over the line. But Roy Val absolutely didn't die wondering, asked him every bloody question under the book. And who knows, man, if he could have started like he finished, you never know. It might have gone the other way, but Pantoja got ahead in those first two rounds, didn't he? And then Roy Val managed to get a little bit of a foothold in the fight. It was brilliant to watch. As I said, frogs in a blender, my man. Frogs in a blender, dishing it up again. Yeah, I think... uh... At times, the fight was just like a blare to watch. Loads of amazing scrambles after like, we often get with the flyweight. To think Roy Val threw everything, including the kitchen sink at Pantoja, but Pantoja at times was able to throw the kitchen sink right back at him. Roy Val would throw threes and fours, land one or two. Pantoja would land one big heat seeking missile right down, right up, right over the top, and would land clean. So even though Roy Val's output was bigger, mm. Pantoja was just that little bit more accurate in the stand up exchanges. But then it was the dominance on the ground, you know. This is a damage business, but after damage, we look at dominance and duration and dominance of position and duration of that position. Even though there wasn't an awful lot 
of advancement or 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 offense at times from Pantoja. Just the 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 visual, the optics of him putting Royval on his back repeatedly, pinning him down there. There was a lot of very technical leg battles going on about getting into position, trying to get top control, side control. So even though they, they aren't necessarily exchanging punches, there's a large portion there when Pantoy, Pantoja is fighting to get into certain positions and Roy Val is in complete defensive mode, yeah. trying to lock legs down and refuse some positions and everything else. So He'd also do it when Roy Val was having that success on the feet. When Roy Val was starting to come into it, it was clever from Pantoja. He would just Absolutely. then go, hang on. We're going yeah. down there for a second. I just need to take exactly. a bit of a breather and just nullify the situation. Bang. It was brilliant. Yeah. Really good. He, he old man them a little yeah. bit, you know. That's uh, the right uh, word. I think that's the right term, mate. Yeah. And that's not to call up Pantoja and old no, man. He's not. What I mean is he used that he used that extra bit of experience to have wild exchanges, to be in the wild exchanges, to be live in the wild exchanges. And just when excuse me, just when Roy Val gets carried away, that's when Pantoja then would just like Right, okay, here we go. Nice little trip, take down or or double leg. The amount of double legs that he timed perfectly as oh. Roy Val threw a combination and he just dropped his level for a split second. And within the, within the blink of an eye, he's dropped his level, he's double leg, he's locked his hands in and he's power slamming you to the floor and he's straight into to, to side control, he's straight into guard or whatever else. That was the difference. And that's where Roy Val has to go away. What Roy Val couldn't have done anything else. He fought tooth and nail yeah. from the first bell to the last bell. It was just in those grappling exchanges, in those jujitsu moments, Pantoja just relied on what he's got, that solid base. You know, he's probably the best jujitsu guy in the flyweight division. Yeah. And when you've got that, when you're able to mix it up like that, land heavy strikes, do well on your feet, you know, set a pace, live with a pace, but then go, right, okay, now we're going to do this and I'll dominate this. When you get back to the feet again, blah, 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 blah. A minute, a minute, it's 50-50. Boop, boop, down we go. I'm looking for submissions again. It just, optically especially, it just looked like dominance. So even though across the scorecards, I think all the judges scored 49-46 uh, in favour of Edwards, gifting, gifting him that last round where he, he engaged with Covington on the wrestling. The 50-45 across the cards, I think it was, for the co-main event. Oh, fair. So much more disappointing. Yeah. Because you're like, Roy Val... Didn't deserve a whitewash. Covington no. did. Yeah. Roy Val didn't. Yeah. The fact that he comes away with nothing to show for it. On paper, it looks like dominance. But in reality, that was a fucking really entertaining fight. Yeah. And it, for me, he doesn't fall too far back, does Roy Val? It's one win, one good Absolutely win. If not. he fights someone in the top five, I know that we're going to get Moreno and Albazi, which is going to determine the next one for Pantoja, rightfully so. But then if... I don't know. You can get a car car of France in there with Roy Val. I, I don't know. Somebody, uh, those top contenders, who knows if it's Mo versus uh, Perez, the winner of that taking on Roy Val. That's a win that then propels you back in. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, Performance-wise, I agree with it. It's just going to be a hard sell for the UFC to go. We're going to do a third fight with Roy Val where Pantoja goes, come on, man. Guy yeah, but, hasn't might, but the thing Guy is, hasn't won a round against yeah, me but, yet, and you want to do, yeah. give him a third fight. Well, you're assuming that Pantoja keeps it against Moreno and against Albazi. Oh, of course. Uh, you're absolutely right, of course. If the belt changes hands, then and he's back. Roy Val's probably your number one contender. Yeah, he's back in. He's back in. Listen, great fight. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed both of those title fights for very, very different reasons. Uh, I also have to admire what Shavkat Rachmanov did against Wonderboy Thompson. Yes, I wanted Wonderboy. Not going to lie. He's my guy. Love watching him do his thing. 
And in the first round, I thought, go on, Stephen, you're looking good. And you came out South Pole, right? Yeah, beautiful. Lovely little teep kicks, lovely little side kicks there. Lots of power. Lovely little timing. Everything was good. And then Shavkat just went, all right, we're not going to stand at range. <laughs> That's not what we're going to do. I'm going to get close, get my hands on you, and you're not going to live in, in my world. And it's even more impressive now to find out in the aftermath that he tore his ankle, Shavkat, in training camp. So he... Because I said I said to you, did I, in the second round, I said, why is Shavkat not kicking? Why is he not kicking? He goes, well, you know, he's just obviously come up with a different tactic for this fight. He's not kicking because his leg don't work. So he still won the fight, even with quite a severe injury uh, to his ankle. I thought it was a very clever performance. Was it the most exciting Shavkat performance that we've ever seen? No. But he diluted the strengths of Wonderboy. He smothered him. He suffocated him. And he keeps his 100% finish rate going. That is just ridiculous. Special. When one of your aspects of uh, and strengths has been taken away from you. Some fighter, mate. Some fighter. That, that for me, has got to be the biggest highlight, uh, the biggest headline, sorry, coming away from this fight is the revelation that Shavkat required ankle surgery. Uh, but refused it because he wanted the fight to go ahead. He's got so much conviction in his all-round arsenal that he's like, doesn't matter that I can't strike with him. Steve Wonderboy Thompson, I'd have probably only stuck with him to get close enough to engage him in a grappling contest anyway. So you know what? I just won't strike with him. I'll just get him up against the fence and I'll do I'll do that side of me game. We're talking about Wonderboy here. We're talking about a, a perennial contender, a former two-time world title contender, a guy that, okay, even at 40... He's still right up there at the top of the trees, still more than capable of putting a run together. And for Rak Shavkat to go in there with that kind of confidence and be like, yeah, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I've got an injury. It doesn't matter that this guy's right up there. I'm the best in the division and I'm going to show the world what I'm all about. And the way he closed the distance, held him up against the fence, frustrated the crowd, frustrated Wonderboy, but tired them down. But 40 years of age, you do get tired quicker. You do slow quicker, and especially when someone's got that heavy blanket pressure. Mm. Tied them up against the fence in the first round, frustrated everybody, come out in the second round, eventually got that trip takedown, and then just systematically, just slowly but surely, heavy blanket on Stephen Thompson, making him work too hard, grabbing limbs, pulling limbs out the way, just positioning himself slowly but surely, works himself to the rear naked choke. Gets it right at the end of the round. And I got, you know, a few people coming away going, oh, why did Wonderboy tap? There was only four seconds to go. He tapped because it was just relentless, heavy grappling pressure. And he couldn't take it anymore. You know, he just, he, he, Steve, going through his mind in that moment, he's not like, oh, there's only four seconds to go. He's like, this fucking guy, I can't get off him. I can't separate myself. So I think right now people need to start talking like I've been talking about Shavkat in terms of, what this actually means. He is 18 and 0 with 18 finishes. And he's been doing it in the UFC with top contenders now on a consistent basis. That's eight knockouts and 10 submissions and 18 fights. <laughs> like this is forget about Habib, forget about John Jones, forget about GSP and Anderson Silva. Okay, he hasn't achieved what they've achieved. He hasn't won belts like they've achieved yet. What did they do in their first 18 fights? They didn't finish everybody. Of course they didn't. Right now, I'm, I'm yet, you know, Jeff Neal asked questions, but when he asked questions, he finished them. This is what Shavkat is. He's a finishing machine. How can he be stopped? Who can stop him? It's like the Terminator. He cannot be stopped. 
right now the only person the only 170 on the planet that I think is a, is any kind of opposition for Shabcat is Leon. Leon. That is the only guy out there who I think has got a cat and hell's chance of beating Shavkat at 170 pounds. It's frightening, man. It's frightening how well-rounded he is. Looking forward to seeing uh, who they put in front of him next. And as my man said a moment or two ago, it'd be wonderful if it was Colby Covington. Yeah. Um, now, people are going to think that I'm going uh, full hometown bias here. I think the performance of the night is Paddy Pimlet for, from uh, from a main card point of view. I know that people will come at me and say, what about Josh Emmett's knockout? No. I know that Josh Emmett's got power. I know that he can do that to people. I know that Leon Edwards can put on clinics. I know that Pantoja is what he is and what he did against Roy Val. I know that Shavkat can do that to people. Paddy Pimlet, lots of questions about him. For me, coming into this fight, it's coming off the back of a, a, a bad year, a bad injury, a flat performance against Jared Gordon with loads of questions around it. Where's your head at, lad? Where's your yeah. head at to quote his uh, walkout tune? And you take it on Tony Ferguson. Now, okay, Tony Ferguson's on a skid, but it's Tony Ferguson. He's a legend of the game. He's a wily old cat. He has got the bit between his teeth thinking, okay, maybe the physicalities and my body ain't going to be able to do the things that my brain wants to do, but I've been there, done it, and got the T-shirt. This kid, is, this kid hasn't. Let's see, what he, let's see what all this is all about. And I thought that that is the best version of Paddy Pimlet that I have seen in the UFC so far. Yes, he's had stoppage victories. He's had performance, bigger performances and maybe more flashier moments. But we're doing it against Tony Ferguson. The first round especially, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Second round, just as good in a different department, whether it be in more grappling rather than the striking of the first round. And the third, I thought he showed real maturity. Gotcha. He was gassed. Yeah, he was gassed. You know what I mean? He was blowing out his ass and it was like, right, this motherfucker's still coming. I ain't been able to flush him yet. Right, five minutes. How badly do I want to win this fight? Well, I need to win it. So we're going to take the path of least resistance. We're going to dilute his momentum and we're going to grind this out. I thought yeah. it was top. A really, really top from Paddy. A mature version of Paddy that I saw all week, which gets me excited for 2024. Yeah, I'm not daft. I know he's still vulnerable. I know that he still comes in square. I know that his chin's up in the sky and a better striker, a quicker striker might be able to clip it and cause him some serious problems. But we want to find out now, don't we? Let's have a top 15 contender against Paddy Pimlet next. Let's see what it is all about. I can't fault the week from him, mate. I really can't fault the week. I think he's had a really good finish to the year and roll on 2024. Yeah, listen, obviously I've spent a lot of time with Paddy, so I know exactly what he's been through over the last year. And it's been a it's been a tough time for him, it really has. So to see him come through a, a dangerous, big-name opponent like, like Tony Ferguson in a manner which he did was brilliant. And you're right, first round, absolutely outstanding, you know, and I think a, a lot of people that aren't as 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 durable and as fucking game as Tony Ferguson don't make it out of that round, you know, and I think that surprised Paddy a little bit because he hit him with some big shots and Tony Ferguson just kept on coming. Second round, Paddy completely changed tactics. It was like, okay, mate, you're Tony Ferguson. I know you. You love fighting off your back. Let's put you on your back and let's see how good you actually are. And on his back, Paddy Pimlet worked in his guard and drilled in loads of ground and pound and wins the second round convincingly yeah. as well. So third round when Paddy come out, you're right. It's starting the striking exchange. Whatever Goggins said in the corner about <laughs> carrying boats or whatever, Tony Ferguson comes out like he's the fucking 20-something and he's the one on the front press and suddenly starts landing a couple of shots and Paddy's tired. He's blowing a gasket a little bit. 
So Paddy does the right thing. He uses his brain rather than being young and youthful in that moment. Ah, I'll get one back. He's like, okay, you've clipped me a couple of times here. I ain't fucking this up. Boom, back on your back, old man. Let's go back to where I'm comfortable and where I know I can dominate. And when, by the time Tony Ferguson's trying to throw rubber guard and all that, you knew he was done then. You know, he tried all his old man tricks and bottom, but that's Paddy's world as well. Paddy's a, a ground fighter. So Paddy, there was never any risk when Tony, in my opinion, when Tony Ferguson's shoulders were on the canvas, there's no risk there for Paddy Pimlet because he knows all the tricks from bottom. So I was so happy that he saw the fight out in the manner in which he did. I seen us, I seen him Sunday morning for the match. His, his, his right foot was like a balloon where he'd obviously been kicking Tony all over the gaff in that first round, especially. It's a great win for him. A great win. And and you know, to, to break the norm as well, to put braids in for the first time and all that. You know, fighters are creatures of habits. And to change big things like that, big moments, can have a different way impact. Like you see me, I was I was like, oh my God, he's put braids in. It's like cutting the hair off Samson. It's not going to be the same, Paddy Pimlet, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I, I was bob on when with my guess at why he put the braids in. It was to stop the optics, to, to make the judges, you know, not see that hair fly everywhere and think that was point scoring when necessarily the way in scoring shot scoring um and, and paddy said afterwards he, he hated the braids he wanted them taken out straight away but he was like this is me now i'm braid hair paddy pimlet because it worked and that that was exactly why i did it I, listen i think it couldn't have gone better for him for the judges would have been harsh actually i think it should have been 30 26 across the boards the first round for me was a 10-8 round yeah it was all day what did um, they give him 30 27s the 30 27s across yeah. the board the yeah. first round's a 10-8 therefore yeah Absolutely. That's what I thought as well. So, so yeah, uh, listen, uh, had he finished them in that first round, again, a lot of people wouldn't have got out that first. Had he finished them, you know, I think the world would be gone absolutely ballistic at the moment, but you've got to look at it for what it is, man. This was Tony Ferguson, the old dog, back against the fence, desperate not to lose one more time, Goggins in his corner, everything else. This was Tony Ferguson revitalized and fired up to some extent. And Paddy mauled him and manhandled him for 15 minutes. Yep. Couldn't do any more than that. Brilliant. Yeah, he couldn't have done any more than that. Wonderful way to finish the year and roll on 2024. It'd be interesting to see if they book him a fight before his, uh, his twins are due because he's he's already said, I'm not fighting in, in and around 300. Because yeah, it's too late. The, the I think the babies are due the week after yeah, three hundred is scheduled. Close, so and he's just and gone the, and the absolutely no chance. The twins they'll probably come early yet. So he's just said, nah, not interested. Even if he was like, even if I was the main event, I wouldn't. There's no money on the planet that would take me away from seeing my kids being that's born. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. absolutely fair. So we're probably anticipating to see him July in the UK, in and around that time. Or yeah. well, maybe before. You never know because he is a, he is a, a, a person know. that could do some America ones. Therefore, um, and that came after one of the most chilling knockouts I have ever been in an arena for. It was scary. It, it was scary. Listen, it was awesome when it landed. It's the aftermath of when you see a uh, a, bo- a, a body just fit for a, a split second. Yes, yeah. um, in Bryce Mitchell. Uh, Listen, fair play to Josh Emmett. He's had a tough time. He's he, he had a wonderful streak in this division. He's had a couple of bumps there. He's of a certain age where you're thinking, ah. Oh. And he was fighting Jika Kakadze originally. And I thought that that matchup was perfect for Jika, who's also, you know, been on a streak, had a bump. Mm-hmm. You think to yourself, right, what are you all about? Striker versus striker, power everywhere here. Kicker versus guy with really good hands. I thought it was a good matchup and... 
but I was favouring Jika. I was, go- I was going to be dead honest because I thought he'd be able to kick away the base of Josh Emmett and stay away from the strikes. When the uh, the change came in that Jika was out and it went to Bryce Mitchell, I thought, oof, if Bryce can get hold of him, given the performance that he's just put in last time out, this is going to be a tough night, especially if he's going to spend the majority of it on his back uh, with Josh Emmett. Um, I thought it was surprising of how wide it was at the bookies when it came to who was favourite and who wasn't favourite because Josh Emmett has been there and done it far more than Bryce Mitchell. Um, but as it turned out, Bryce Mitchell was... Listen, he, the first ex, it was the first hit, wasn't it? They had two minutes of looking at each other. Obviously, loads of respect, loads of respect, loads of respect. And then the bomb came. And when that bomb landed, oh my days, mate, it was, it was unreal. Yeah, just the even the like I we walked over, didn't we? And I was like, you were fuming, you were fuming because you wanted to go to the sports book to throw some on it. For me, this was my Robbie Lawler, Nico Price moment last time we were in Vegas, and I was like, Robbie Lawler by knockout, get me the bookies right now, and I made about five hundred dollars. As soon as I seen Josh Emmett was the underdog, especially I was like, I've got to put a bet on that because I, I I fancied Josh Emmett from the minute it was made, and when I was around Bryce all fight week, um. Some of the things he was saying about Josh Emmett being the biggest banger and he's the scariest dude in the division and, you know, it's a big risk for me and everything else. I was like, okay, there's sometimes you know. there's, there's that yeah. fear of being aware of the of the threat coming at you, but then there's the also the fear of like, oh, a bit off more than the can chew and I kind of know it. And then when they got on the scales and Bryce, with all due respect, hasn't got necessarily an athlete's body. He's got a jujitsu guy's body, hasn't he? You know, he's, he, he's, he's not ripped to bits. Whereas Josh has probably got the most intimidating uh, physique in the entire division. You know, he's just muscle on muscle on muscle. And when they got it, as soon as the bell went inside the octagon, I said to you, I leaned over and went, mate, this is going to end one way. Because as good as Bryce is on the ground, he has got a lot of holes in a stand-up game. His stand-up game, Bryce's, is based on, I'm a tough old country boy. I can take a shot, but I'm throwing to get close enough to get all the and pull you down and, and take this to the world I want it to be in. Um, a few engagement in that world. Taporia did, and Taporia obviously is a, is, a, is a submission guy himself. Taporia made a bit of a statement, but he bounced back against Danny Gay because he's a tough old country boy and he can mix it up. But he ain't a boxer. He's never been a boxer. And Josh Emmer can box. Josh Emmer can set up a shot, and he set up that shot perfectly. And when he like, when he threw that right hand down the middle, Bryce was practically square on and hands out here. And it just landed absolutely clean on the chin. As soon as it landed, Josh Emmett knew, the arena knew, everyone knew that was it. It was game over. And the place erupted. And then, as you say, they zoom in on the Jumbotron. And the first thing we see is Bryce Mitchell's body just convulsing. And everyone just took a, a deep breath then. And you were like, oh, shit, wait a minute. And Emmett realized it. Emmett took a knee and was like quieting everybody down. And there was a you know a couple of moments there for a second where you were like fearing for for Bryce's health. Um, listen, everything's fine. He walked away from the octagon. I could see. I watched him walking away from the octagon. He stumbled out of the cage, and he walked in front of the media desk. And as he was walking round, his coach was talking to him. His coach was obviously saying, "He hit you with your right hand. You got knocked out." And it was like halfway back to the dressing room when Bryce started like punching the air and like, "Oh shit," you know. You had to you had to be explained to him. The fight happened, mate. You got it with the right hand. What it's like it's over, really. I bet you today, this being Tuesday morning, I bet you Bryce still doesn't know what hit him. Still doesn't know what hit him. He just did not see the shot coming. Yeah. What a punch. 
It was. It's a knockout of the year contender. No doubt about that. A real uh, highlight, real moment for uh, for Josh Emmett. Um, the prelims were absolutely superb. Superb. Early prelims I'm including in that as well. There's some big performances, some people that performed on these uh, these prelims that are definitely going to be bigger stars in 2024. I don't know if they're going all the way in 2024, but they're definitely going to be doing something uh, to get you excited. I thought Alonso Menifield in the uh, featured prelim against uh, Dustin Jacoby was so cool, calm and collected. I thought he lost the first round. I thought Jacoby came out looked really, really good. Um, and then kind of just played into Manyfield's hands. And Manyfield had the power, far mm. more powerful uh, than Jacoby. Dropped him a couple of times, didn't rush his work, didn't get giddy, didn't jump into the situations. Uh, a really, really good win for him, mate. I thought he was top. He was outstanding, you know, and, and that was a real significant moment to come back after that first round. Against the former glory kickboxer, you know, a standout in Dustin Jacoby. And to come back in that, whatever Pat Barry said, the lone man in, in Menafield's corner. You love that, don't you? You love it when yeah. it's just one dude in the just, corner. Just one dude. Just just Alonzo Menafield and his, and one, one corner man. That's all I need. This guy. I just need this guy in my ear. And he's a great guy to have in you in a kickboxing match because, of course, Pat Barry are very much accomplished kickboxer himself. But to go, right, okay, he's won the first round, but this is what we're going to do. And Sometimes against high-level guys like Jacoby, who's been at the very highest level in kickboxing, sometimes the way to beat them is to throw first. Yeah. When they throw, you throw. And that's a ballsy thing to do for anybody. You know, when you're facing a guy as accomplished as that, who's, who's done way more things in the kickboxing sphere than you have, but to go, nah, man, when he goes, you have to go. That takes a lot of stones, a lot of balls. And Menafield did exactly that. And he start, started tagging him with right hands, Dropped them a couple of times, as you say. I think it was once in the four, once in the second, once in the third. Yeah. Which ultimately pushed them over. I thought, listen, I thought Menafield deserved the deserved the victory, deserved to get his arm raised. Solid judging across the board, 29, 28. Yep. The judges saw it is exactly again. That's the beauty of this sport, man. There's a unified set of rules. Damage, dominance, duration to work off. Fantastic. Menafield, brilliant performance. The next fight or the previous fight. Yes. Oh my God. If you're, if you're watching this now and you haven't seen, yet seen 296 and you're thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back. I'm going to buy it because you guys are selling it and I need to see Leon's masterclass and I want to see young Paddy the Baddy do his thing. Before you do buy it, just fire up the prelims first and watch Aldana versus Rosa. But do it before your dinner because it might put you off your dinner because these two girls absolutely butchered one another for 15 minutes. Yeah. From literally the opening exchange... They just threw knockout strikes from the opening exchange, and then they continued to do that for the next 15 minutes. How Carol Rosa stayed on her feet, I've got no idea. How Aldana managed to keep walking after some of the leg kicks she was taking, I've got no idea. But in true UFC fashion, when we get the great ones, I'm talking John Jones versus Gustafsson. I'm talking Robbie Lawler versus Rory MacDonald. I'm now talking Aldana versus Rosa. There's always the mandatory post-fight hospital shots where they're lying next to each other in hospital beds cut up and everything with the mandatory photo we got one of them from this fight because it was arguably but more than likely factually the best fight of 2023 mental yeah it was outrageous to just be in there for 15 minutes watching these two give it some sensational and just absolutely quashes anything flipping over to the boxing world for a split second 
uh, that the WBC believe about length of rounds with bigger gloves for female fighters. We're talking about four ounce gloves, 15 minutes of absolute war. Three, five minutes. Beautiful, man. Absolutely sensational stuff. Uh, delighted to see Cody Garbrandt back doing Cody Garbrandt things. Um, first and foremost, Brian Kelleher's skullet. I'm thinking of getting one. Please do. What do you reckon? Please do. Everyone, please. Business up top, party at the back. What do you reckon? Should I get a Brian Kelleher? For those that haven't seen it, he has a skinhead at the back. It's like they forgot to cut it at the back. Like a reverse. Like a pillow. It's like he's like, like a pillow for yeah. when he's on a plane. Like a reverse I-9. Like little, you remember Ronaldo when he had the thing at the front? He had a skinhead yeah. everywhere, but the thing at the front. I reckon uh, the Brian Kelleher skullet could catch on. I bet you it doesn't, but no, please go doesn't. on. I bet you doesn't. Please go on. Uh, but Cody was great all week. We had a wonderful sit down uh, in the week. He's in good spirits. Should he have got a performance bonus? I think he should, man. Yeah. Yeah, of course he should. I think Be- he should. Because. Of course he isn't. Yeah. There's other. Oh, listen, when Josh Emmett does what Josh Emmett did, it's very difficult to. Uh, of course. Uh, to, to nick that. But yeah, Cody was, uh, he looked fast. One thing about Cody sometimes, and I was saying this whilst I was sat next to you, is he sometimes chases the shots and his chin's way of it, over the top of his uh, front foot. In fact, it's further ahead. He's, he's leading with his head and his feet are behind him, mm-hmm. which then obviously makes him susceptible to getting clipped on the way clipped. through. Once, when he's not doing that, when he is perfectly balanced and he's in line and his hands and his, uh, his head is over that front foot and it's, it's all in line, he's beautiful to watch, man. He really is beautiful. He's got so, his hands are so fast um, and he delivered, he delivered obviously the first knockdown against uh, Brian Keller. And when he's done that, he, uh, he goes, well, he slips back into old Cody, doesn't he? There's a little bit of showboating in there. He's like, where are you going, mate? He's pointing to the crowd and all this. I'm thinking, Cody's back. Yeah. And then he manages to just squat down, back up, boom, little one over the top, face plant knockout, and the pitcher, oh, mate, the pitcher just walking away, she, Alan Shearer-esque, finger in the sky, job done, Cody Garbrandt, no love, mate. And then, then, put the microphone in his face. There you go, kids. You want to see what a seasoned pro does, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, he was, he's been champion. He's been at the very highest level. He's fallen short a few times. But look what he does. He's just delivered. It's not just about that. Gets on the microphone and he goes, I saw that Davison Figueredo, former champion at uh, Flyweight's up at Bantamweight now. We were supposed to fight each other for the championship belt when I went down. COVID knocked that out. He's up at Bantamweight. He's just had a good performance. Let's dance. Yeah, UFC 300. Let's dance, he said. Boom! Cody Garbrandt with the shots fired. It's a perfect fight. Of course. Listen, I'm living in Vegas now. UFC 300s around the corner. It's it's, it's going to be a massive event. Stick me on there with the former flyweight champ, former flyweight champ, Mister former bantamweight champ. It it makes itself. It makes itself. He called a fight, and he's probably going to get that fight, and he deserves the fight. So, yeah, I was good. He never got a bonus. Ariana Lipsky did get a bonus. And you know what? That was fully deserved. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, Casey yeah. O'Neill trying to bounce back from the loss against Jennifer Meyer. We we fancied it. We fancied this fight. I spoke to Molly about it, and she said, you know what? I think it's the right fight for it, even though Lipsky, Molly's beat previously, was on is on a bit of a run right now. She's in good form. It was like, okay, this is a good fight for Casey O'Neill to come back against. But I'll tell you what, 
Ariana Lipsky was absolutely dialed in from the very first moment. Again, another second round finish in this fight. She eventually worked it, got in, uh, got got the arm bar finish, made Casey tap. But I think that's the best I've ever seen Ariane Lipsky look. She looked absolutely brilliant. Obviously, I feel for Casey O'Neill being a Scottish national based out of Australia. It's kind of one of our own, if you like. But uh, there was no denying that was Lipsky's best UFC performance, in my opinion. And quite rightfully, she got herself 50 grand for it. Yeah. Um, listen, the co- we've been speaking about cool and calm fighters all night, haven't we? Um the coolness and the calmness of Sean Strickland to move Gilbert Burns' kids out the way as he jumped the crowd in uh, <coughs> yeah. in the in the audience to get to DDP at the weekend. Listen, you, I've got to respect that. Listen, get the children out of the way. The adults are about to go and do something crazy. Yeah. Um. Listen, it'll it'll help the pay per view. Yeah, it will. Dana White taking responsibility afterwards. Oh, hey, that's, that's even funnier. That's yeah, even yeah. funnier. Goes which asshole puts those two guys next to each other? This asshole. <laughs> no, listen. You can't condone fighting in the crowd. Of course. At the end of the day, all the things that we're talking about, Leon Edwards' early doors, uh, I stand by. That's what I want my mixed martial artists to look like, right? Yes. That's how I want them to behave. Listen, pub fighting, fighting in public. Nah, man. Come on. That's that's not what we are. I understand emotions do run high. Keep a check of those emotions and do it when you're getting paid. Well, DDP, DDP, to be fair, after the because they were on TV, weren't they? And he showed one, and he showed the other, and, hey, hey, hey. and then DDP, DDP's going, "Come on, then let's do it now. Come on, let's do it now." Yeah, he, yeah, he called him. And then Strickland goes, "Right, Gilbert Burns and my and wife, move your children out of the way, please. I want to jump on him. Kids, move out of the way." He jumps on. He starts on blows. <laughs> DDP got to stay. He caused it, and he got to stay and watch the show. Strickland got through out on his ear. But, yeah, listen, it's it's juvenile. It's embarrassing. Does it sell pay-per-views? You're goddamn right it does. That's why yeah. the UFC used it on their socials in the aftermath. And the fight. I'm looking forward to the fight, which obviously... Absolutely. Is, which kicks I'm off. Still, I'm still edging towards DDP. I've got to be honest. I think we've got Anne the New there. But Strickland but- seems to have, you know, he's always been out, you know, outspoken and everything yeah, else. Yeah, Strick- yeah. Strickland's confidence and as a performance yeah. will have jumped up monumentally after what he did to Azriel Adesanya. So that's far from a far gone conclusion. That performance against Adesanya means that Strickland is going to be the best version of Strickland we've ever seen. But DDP for me is the guy. Anyone that does that to Bobby Knuckles, you've got my respect, man. Real. Um, a few other things that uh, became public last week. UFC 300 is going to be April 13th. It's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, um, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with the matchmaking. It's hard to predict is UFC it's 300. Connor, it's Connor. I'm still, listen, I spoke to a few uh, US journalists when I was out there who, who were a bit more across the WWE world and the, the whole the East Coast and West Coast MMA scene than I am from this distance. And they were like, nah, man, you, you, you're, you're smoking crack if you think Ronda's coming back. But I'm... I'm standing by my guns, man. I, pu- I honestly think Ronda Rousey will be on that card. Why do you? Why are you convinced it'll be Connor? Uh, just because it's UFC 300, and they need the biggest star possible. And Dana's, you know, talking talking the talk. We've got no Islam. We've got no John Jones. We've got no uh, Sean. Isla- Islam for people that are confused by that. Islam is because of Ramadan. He can't be on Correct. UFC 300, but he can be we've on no, earlier cards. No. 
unlikely to be any Volk or Sean O'Malley because they're fighting literally in the weeks and the run-up to it, they're scheduled. Mm-hmm. John Jones has obviously injured and ruled himself out. Aspinall versus versus Stipe, which I think could be the main event, has been yeah. categorically ruled out by Dana as well. So you're more than likely going to get Tom defending the interim against a, a, an Almeida, a Blades, or a Cyril Gan. With all due respect, that's well. Almeida and, and Blades so, are already fighting each other, aren't they? So big, of course, yeah, exactly. So the, the, when you look at the options out there in terms of the biggest star names, Adesanya's ruled himself out for the foreseeable future. When you look at that, you start kind of questioning where it is the super fight, where it is the the legit 300 main eventer. Now, we're looking back at UFC 100 and UFC 200. There's usually a sprinkling of title fights on there. There's usually a sprinkling of showpiece three-rounders, i.e. the Brock Lesnar's and things like that. So I believe Ronda coming back in a a three-round featured bout against a Holm or a Misha Tate, I think is almost inevitable. Like Conor McGregor against fucking anybody you like in any weight division you like is inevitable as a main event. Um, and I think we could well see Gaethje on there defending the BMF belt. No idea who against, but, you know, this is kind of where I think... This, it, mate, this, this is what I mean. It's mad, right? Because, obviously, you've got your opinions. Every fan's got their opinion of how things are going to all play out. The noises that I'm hearing about Connor, it's going to be International Fight Week, which is alarming then when you're thinking about the main event for UFC 300. What do you put in there? The only champion right now that you could look at that is a fit available and ready to go is Alex Pereira. So who do you put Alex Pereira against? Pereira, Tom, and you could argue maybe Leon. Right. You know, would be available okay. for April the second week. Right, April. but Leon against who? So the, you've just said the Leon versus um, Islam Makachev fight. Is that, that's the biggest fight. But that's ruled out because Makachev because Makachev has to fight pre that because of Ramadan, right? So that's difficult for him for him to do. Tom Stipe, absolutely, you're 100 right. But you, we've just come back saying that Den has already kiboshed that. I look at yeah. what is viable, what's not been kiboshed. Pereira, Izzy's ruled himself out of part three at light heavyweight for now, but could he be yeah. tempted back in? I don't know. Connor's absolutely the name. You need Connor Chandler. You need that or Connor. Get you, you need summit. Mm-hmm. I think there's other fights that are non title fights that I think will feature something like I wouldn't be surprised if you see Dustin Poirier, Nate, Nate Diaz. I wouldn't be surprised if you see that. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, Nate, if Robert Nate is Whittaker... not actually part of the UFC at the moment either, as well. Right. So that, yeah, but he's free agent as well. You can no, make no. it happen. You can make it happen. But he, and he's probably such a good he probably, He's, he's got probably get twice as much dough for fucking going in against someone like Jake Paul, though. Yeah, but he's got such a good relationship with Dana, they'll be able to sort something out. You've got uh, Whitaker possibilities of Usman. You know what I mean? These these types of fights, I think we've already confirmed. I mean, Dennis said that he's going to do Jim Miller. So Jim Miller's going to be in there in some way, shape or form, isn't he? When you look at all the female fights that are available, the biggest female fight for me right now is Weili against uh, Yan Nan. That doesn't make sense to do it in Las Vegas. That is a, an Asian fight. You put that on absolutely. as an absolute blockbuster for the Asian fans in, in a local yeah. territory. Yeah. Um, it's difficult, man. It's difficult to right now say that is absolutely happening, especially when the noise in, internally, externally, is that there's doubt over whether Connor's doing it in April or he's doing it in July. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's coming back at some point, but when is he doing it? I would love it to be UFC 300 because once it is and if it's him, everything else is fine. Everything else will just filter back because it's Connor show then. Exactly. And you want exactly. 300 to be absolutely gigantic. 
And it will be, which means it will be Connor. <laughs> so everything I've just said just goes in the bin. Uh, one thing that we do know uh, is that Ian Gary will be fighting in Miami. Well, we think he'll be fighting in Miami. He's booked to fight in Miami against Jeff Neal. It's a fight that was originally booked that fell off, uh, of course, and then uh, Ian took on uh, Neil Magny. Uh, he's had a he's had a bad week, hasn't he? As uh, as Ian, obviously with. Uh, his illness and what have you. We spoke to him on the Friday morning. He phoned into our weigh-in show and he sounds, uh, he didn't sound well there. I'm surprised that his name has already been linked to a fight that has been rebooked already. Uh, given the fact that he's ill, he was supposed to fight Vicente Luque. That fell off. And now he's back in with a previously uh, attempted to be booked uh, opponent in Jeff Neal. Um, listen, as a fight, I'm in. Because Jeff Neal gets an opportunity to have a go at somebody that's had a go at him with the uh, the mugshot T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how Ian bounces back um, after everything that has been uh, said and about him and his, his family over the last few weeks, few, uh, few months. Um, listen, he's a supreme fighter. I love watching Ian Gary fight. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to that fight. I hope it doesn't get nasty. I hope it doesn't get daft. Just concentrate on being Ian Gary, the mixed martial artist. And in doing so, I think he can come through that because I think he's super talented. Yeah, that 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 showpiece card, what is it, March the 2nd or March the 9th? In March the 9th in Miami. You know, you've also got Michael Venom Page making his debut, UFC debut on there against Kevin Holland. That's a dream uh-huh. opponent as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Petty Yan versus Song Dong was confirmed for it. Gilbert Baines versus Jack Della Madalena. Like they're just the four that were announced last week. That's on top of the fact that we've already know it's Sean O'Malley versus Cheeto Vera in the main events. Awesome. We already know that Curtis Blades versus Jilton Almeida's on that card as well. That Mateus Gamrot's taking on RDA on that card. Miami is an absolute smoke show. It could be, you know, right up there as one of the best main cards as we've seen in an awful long time because there's, there's six or seven fights there straight away that are main card worthy, absolutely. So Miami is going to be absolutely popping come March, that's for sure. Party in the city where the heat is on all night. On... Is that the one? Is that what we're going to try and get to? To Miami, absolutely. There you go, people. Absolutely, I'd love to go. Does look good. Does look good indeed. Uh, there you go. That's your MMA for 2023, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what a way to finish off with Leon Edwards rubber stamping uh, his stance as the number one guy in the welterweight division and obviously puts himself into a, a good prominent position with the pound for pound boys as well. Good stuff from him. Uh, and roll on 2024. It's going to be really, really interesting. You know that it's going to be bigger and better. More territories for the UFC to visit over the next uh, 12 months. UK is going to be getting a little bit of love as well. Some uh, new cities in the UK getting a little bit of attention, which is always a good thing. We've got two champions. Who'd have thought that at the start of 2023, we had two people holding UFC gold from British soil and uh, they're set for big years in 2024. And hopefully you can come on this journey with us. Thank you very much. And for being with us over the last 12 months in particular, if you subscribe, if you're a new subscriber this year, thank you. Welcome aboard. If you've been here for time, if you're one of the OGs, We always appreciate that loyalty as well. Thank you so much. Hopefully you've got out of this year as much as what we got out of it too. We wish you and your families all the very best. Have a happy holidays wherever you uh, do consume our show. Uh, And we look forward to getting stuck in in the new year uh, to many, many more sensational uh, MMA shows. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back at the start of January with a review 
of 2023. We'll pick out our best moments, highlights, fight of the year, knockout of the year, you name it. And then obviously we'll tee up 2024, which as well, outside of the UFC, is going to be a fascinating year for the PFL. All good, baby. Yeah. And don't forget, one championship have signed a deal with Sky Sports. So British fight fans can uh, check that out as well. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, there you go. Uh, enjoy your holidays. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.